The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles, and if you would, and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Uh, today, we're still in a break from our series, Living in the Light of Christ's Return. We, we will resume the series next week as we go into Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica. But today, I'd like to turn our attention to another subject as we think on the beginning of 2020. It seems almost impossible that we're here in 2020. I, I wasn't sure we'd live long enough to see this. At the turn of the century... At the end of 1999, all the pundits said that all the computers would crash. Remember that? They said all the computers will crash in Y2K. Life and the planet will, will cease. The end of the world will surely come. And it is amazing to see how our lives are tied to our computer screens and our smartphones and all the gadgets that keep us connected to the Internet. If we hurriedly leave the house and leave the cell phone at home, we go into a panic Seems like we're not going to survive. Last week I left mine at home. The first thing I did when I got here was call home, make sure that cell phone gets here. I'm not even in my office to use it, but I, want to, I like to be close to it, don't you? And we just think about that. Uh, we hyperventilate and just get all excited if we're not connected that way. But I can assure you of this, that Christ's second coming is not tied to any of the activities of Silicon Valley. Except maybe for this, that he will fry them in all their circuitry like Sodom and Gomorrah when he comes. But the Bible does call us to be different people. And my, my message today is a different type of sermon than I normally preach. I, I want to try to encourage you and challenge you today. Uh, the Bible calls us to be different people. Our lives are not tied to cell phones and computer screens, but our lives are to be tied to Jesus Christ. And our focus is to be on Him. All attention must go to Him. And we must have a determination to be all that we can be in the power of God's Holy Spirit. I'd like for you to look at these scriptures in Luke chapter 9. And in these verses, Jesus wanted to know what the people thought of Him and who they thought He was. Uh, he asked His disciples this question, but He was really more interested in what they thought. And if they recognized who he truly was, and if so, then what difference would that make in their lives? And as we look at this passage this morning, I want to ask you, what difference does it make in your life that you know Jesus Christ? Are you counted among the faithful few that follow him everywhere that he leads? And that's a very important question for us to answer as we go into another year, and especially into another decade, in the fellowship of the Berean Baptist Church. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 18, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, 
saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Now pay close attention to verses 23 and 24. These are the text verses for the message today. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. A few years ago, there was a commercial on television that advertised the Marine Corps. And you might remember this, I'm not sure, it might even still be on occasionally today, that this commercial featured a young man who enters a castle-like structure. It is a fortress. He's climbing and he's crawling. He's dodging various obstacles as he infiltrates this fortress. And he comes to his ultimate challenge, and as he does, he grabs an Excalibur-type sword, and he faces a fire-breathing monster. And with that sword, he kills the monster, and as he does, he's engulfed in flames, and then he is transformed into a marine. And you hear these, these familiar words, the proud, the few, the few, the proud, the marines. And the idea behind that commercial is that it's tough, that it is demanding, that it requires dedication to become a marine. And yes, only a few, only the very best can make it. Now, I'm sure that if you served in the Navy, you're sitting there yawning at all of that, uh, not believing a word of it, but that's what's in the commercial. Only a few are tough enough to be Marines. Well, since the time that Christ walked on this earth and called out those first disciples, this is what he has been doing. He's been looking for what we might say are spiritual Marines. And the only problem is there aren't any that can be, there aren't any that can make it, there are none who desire it, there are none who are tough enough to withstand it, there are no Christian Marines until the Holy Spirit takes them and transforms them and equips them to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. And yet it's still true that when we become Christians there is this responsibility, no matter who you are, no matter how you decide to serve, there is this responsibility that you are to be dedicated men and women who stand up to the rigors of living the faithful, committed Christian life. The Word of God very clearly tells us that we are required to persevere in our faith, that we are to be holy, we are to be righteous, and we are, folks, to be able defenders of our faith. We're to be spiritual marines. And unlike Marines in our country, we are not the proud. We don't claim any pride by who we are. We are the humble, but I will say we are faithful to Christ. If we are, we are the elite. We're the ones that get the job done. And it's not by our power, but it's by the power of the Almighty God. Now, as pastor, I observe, I, I look at our congregation, I see who does what, I know most of the time, who will get the job done? And I can tell you that the spiritually elite, the fighters, the faithful few are often very far and few between. And I hope that in this coming year that we can change that paradigm to where we all become more faithfully committed, always on the top of our game Christians. Now in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there are that find it. 
He said in his teaching that many are called, but few are chosen. And I want to ask the question to you today, how is it with your Christian life? Are you one of those chosen few? And do you want to be one of the faithful few who truly does desire to serve Jesus Christ? The Marine Corps has a motto. It's Latin. It says, Semper Fidelis. And it means always faithful. And that is a great motto for a Christian Lord, I will always be faithful. Lord, you can count on me. Lord, I'm sold out to you. Lord, I'm one of the few. I'm one of the faithful. I want to be semper fidelis, always faithful. But tragically, I'm afraid that if our commander-in-chief were to return to earth today, if he came to this place this morning, I think that he would find many of his soldiers who are disgraced to their uniform. And he would find many of them that are not true to the oath of allegiance that they gave when they received Christ as Savior. At that moment they said, you are my Lord and Master. Because there is no one who can come to Christ and be a Christian without making that commitment. You are Lord, not only Savior, but you are Lord of my life and you are my Master. And I'm afraid that there are too many that are not faithful spiritual Marines that we ought to be. We are not always faithful. We're not part of the few. And we fit in with most Christians that treat Christianity like a Boy Scout weekend. This is, a, this is an army many times that's filled with a lot of talk and not much action. And we exemplify that old saying, when all is said and done, there's a whole lot more said than there is done. Now I'd like you to note first by way of introduction that Jesus is looking for disciples, not just decisions. And we talked a little bit in forum class this morning about decisions. We have a lot of church, churches that are filled with people that have made nothing but decisions. And decisions are great. I mean, we, we thank God for everyone who decides to trust Christ. But decisions are not enough. It's not enough to walk the church aisle with a decision. And many people do. It's just something that they decided to do, and because it is just their decision, they never amount to corn chucks in God's service. Christ is looking for true disciples. And while there are many that make their decisions, there are few that become faithful disciples of Christ. Recent research done by pollsters such as George Barna compared the morals and the behavior of those that go to church with those that don't. And in their research, they found a great tragedy. They found that there wasn't any discernible difference between churchgoers and those that don't go to church. They found that church people are just like those in the world. That church people call in sick on their jobs when they're not sick. They cheat on their income taxes. They lie on their resumes. They're involved in adultery and extramarital affairs. In business, they're as ethically challenged as the worst of the corporate world. They're no different from the world. And according to Christ, these are people that can't be his disciples. The scriptures tell us we ought to be different. There ought to be a difference in Christians because of this very fact. We are called disciples of Jesus Christ. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Our commander-in-chief then is looking for some faithful disciples. And there's an old cliche that I believe is true. It says that those that are exposed to small doses of religion are often inoculated against genuine Christianity. 
You don't need a small dose of religion. You need a full syringe of Jesus Christ. You need a heavy dose of him. You need to be totally immersed in the person and the spirit of Christ. So I'm not going to water this down for you today. I'll make it to you very clear that living for Christ is a demanding lifestyle. It's very difficult. It will be hard on you. You'll have to resist your flesh. It'll be very hard on you. The lifestyle is demanding. And Jesus gave the terms and conditions of discipleship. And he left us no room to compromise on it. You don't even think about arguing a different position with him. But I know some do. The Jesus that most people serve is not the same Jesus that we have in the Bible. They have their soft, effeminate Jesus who never makes demands. He is the Jesus who comes and just hugs everybody and he pats them on the head and he says, go out, love everybody, be good, do whatever you think is best. They have a prosperity Jesus who says sin. I don't know what that is. What is sin? I think Christ is fed up with weekend warriors. He's fed up with National Guard Christians that show up for a meeting once a month. He's looking for a few good, faithful, full-time spiritual Marines. And there is no shortcut to his kind of discipleship. It is full-on training and commitment to what he's called us to do. And when we look at the terms and conditions that Christ established, we we see there isn't an easy way. Uh, We read in our scripture reading this morning in the opening exercise that, that Paul wrote there in 2 Timothy, Endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so if you want the easy way out, then you can forget being one of the faithful few. There's not a dedicated Marine that looks for the easy way out. Rather, he takes the Marine Corps position and he serves on their terms and conditions. And when you commit yourself to Christ, you must serve on his terms and conditions. You can't do it on what you think his, the terms ought to be. No, I recall a story of a, of a man who went to a circus and he was watching this beautiful, gorgeous circus lady that was in the ring with the lion. And, and this, this circus lady would put a marshmallow in her mouth and this lion, this big, fierce lion, would come and very gently take the marshmallow out of her mouth. There was a guy that was watching this in the, in the audience and he began to mock and he was yelling in the crowd, there's nothing to that, that's no trick. He went on and on about it until finally the ringmaster had enough. And he said, well, if you think you can do this, then you come on down and get into this ring. And the guy said, well, I'd be glad to if you get the lion out of there. And many are just like that. They want to get down and kiss the girl and avoid the lion. These are people who want to do discipleship their way. And Jesus said, you must do it my way. And his way is tough. It's demanding. And you can't establish following him by your own conditions. In fact, if we were just going to get literal with that lion story, we know that Christians in the days that Jesus spoke and afterwards that Christians were put in with lions and they were faithful to their deaths. Now today I'd like you to note four uh, conditions. In these scriptures we find four conditions as Christ demands for discipleship. What are the demands that Jesus says you must meet before you can be my disciple. Well, number one, if you're keeping up with the listening sheet today, I'll try to be clear since we don't have our overhead. Number one is a determined desire. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be determined. 
It's very interesting the way that Jesus began his statement in verse 23. He says, if any man will come after me. Now you would expect that Jesus would say, since everybody's coming after me. Since everybody's coming after me. It seems what, by what Jesus did, knowing what Jesus had to offer, that everyone would go after him. I mean, you just look at what this crowd had seen. You go back one chapter to Luke chapter 8, and there Jesus did some amazing things. In the 8th chapter, he showed that he was Lord over demons. Remember the story of how Jesus made deviled ham. Uh, he cast demons into a herd of swine, into a herd of pigs, and they went running down a steep place and jumped into the sea. And the people never seen anything like that before. Jesus showed that he was Lord over demons. In the same chapter, there was a, a woman that the Bible says has an issue of blood. It doesn't explain exactly what that is, but she had an issue of blood. And she had been sick with this for 12 years. She'd been to many physicians, all the probably that she could find, to try to find help with this. None of them could help her. But then Jesus came to town. And she came up behind him without him even knowing it. She touched the hem of his garment. At first he didn't know that she was there. He, she touched the hem of his garment and immediately she was healed. Jesus perceived that virtue had gone from him. They'd never seen anything like that before. Now we have a Jesus who's not only Lord over demons, he's Lord over disease. The same day he showed that he was Lord over death. That's when he went and raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. She was dead. And Jesus raised her from the dead. And then, just before what we've just read here in Luke 9, he showed that he was Lord over disappointment and over disaster by feeding 5,000 people with just two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus is Lord over demons, Lord over disease, over death, over disappointment and disaster. He's Lord over everything that your soul needs. And so you would think in light of this, seeing all these things that Jesus did, that he would say here, since everyone wants to follow me. But no, he said, if anybody or if any man would come. Now you know Jesus. Those of you that are saved here today, you know who he is. You know the power of Christ. You know what he means to you. And when you try to tell people about him, are you surprised sometimes that people don't want to believe him? Well, I'm not really surprised at all because I know the human heart. The Bible describes the human heart. I'm not surprised at all that the world is unconvinced about who Jesus is. As I said, that takes the power of the Holy Spirit to change a person's mind about Jesus. I'm not surprised at that. But what I am surprised at is that blood-bought saints of God don't want to follow Him. He redeemed them from their sins. Why don't they want to follow Him? Oh, it must surprise the angels of heaven and even the demons of hell that Christians are sluggish about following Jesus. The angels know what God saved you to. The demons know what God saved you from. But despite all of that, Jesus still says, if any man will come. And he'll not force you to come. We don't teach that. He'll not make you come. He doesn't twist anybody's arm to make them a disciple. There must be a determined desire to follow him. So if you want to be one of his faithful few, you must be determined. In Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus, Isaiah wrote, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I shall not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. That is a description of Jesus. 
It's speaking of his determination to go to the cross. And if you are to be like Jesus, you must have this determination to set your face like a flint. And that means to be hardened against all opposition, to be like steel, to be resolute and undaunted. It means to be determined. It means to be constant and unmoved by whatever anybody throws against you. That's really the picture that we get with the marine holding the sword. And God is telling us that we must push on with determination and with desire. We must be determined to follow Christ. And you won't do it without this determination because the devil will attack you. He'll take away all of your desire. So first, there must be a determined desire. And then number two, to be his disciple takes a demanding denial. Look at verse 23 again. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself a demanding denial if you follow Christ if you would you must deny self I think most of you know in this social climate that's the worst that you could ever ask of anybody deny self what do you mean well we don't do anything but satisfy self do your own thing isn't that what people say do what you want to do you're the one that's most important be true to yourself how many times have you heard that be true to yourself Look at yourself. Be true to yourself. Indulge yourself. And what this has done, and you well know, it has led to a perverted, unthinkable, unimaginable, twisted world. Why? Because that attitude is diametrically opposed to Christianity. It's easy to deny things. It's easy to deny a few pleasures. It's easy to deny other people. But it goes against our nature to deny ourselves. But the truth is, you can forget a spirit-filled life if you're not willing to deny yourself. Hear this and hear it well. The spirit will not fill that which is already full. And so if you're full of yourself, you can forget about being filled with Jesus. He is the Lord. He sits on the throne of the Christian life. And you'll not be successful. You'll not be his disciple by constantly trying to pry him off, shoving him off of that throne. You ever seen these westerns on TV? Uh, I don't think they have too many westerns on TV any, anymore, but you watch the old reruns and Marshall Dillon or watch that, you know, Gunsmoke. Anybody remember that stuff? Okay, some of you do, old people. Uh, <laughs> one cowboy says to the other, there, there ain't enough room in this town for the both of us. And friends, I'll tell you that it's high noon in the Dodge City of your life and there's no room at the head of your life for both you and Christ. If any man will come after Christ, he must deny himself. Now, when we talk about denying self, you know, that's not human. That's not human. People don't do that. This is godly. It's godly. That's the only way you do it. It's against the grain of human nature. We're taught to rely on ourselves. We're taught to deify self. It was Isaiah who saw his vision of God on the throne. And you know what Isaiah said about self? He said, oh, how wicked I am. I am a man of unclean lips. And then he turned to God and he says, here am I, send me. And if you've had that vision of God, you know how holy he is. And you compare your life and you see how vile you are. And when you do, you can't refuse him. You know that you must say, whatever it is that you want, Lord, send me. 
It's tragically foolish and it is ungodly not to be faithful to Jesus Christ. So this is what all of us need. We need this vision of God. We need to see that we're not important. Who we are is not important, but God is everything. You are nothing, and it's hard for us to admit we are all nothing but instruments that God uses. But we don't want that. We want self-promotion. We want self-exaltation. We want self-esteem. And there are plenty that stand in pulpits today and give you that very thing. Self-esteem, the promotion, and Jesus says to all of that, no, no, no. You can't do that. You can't do that and be one of my faithful few. So I'm telling you, you've got to move yourself out of the way. The greatest tool that the devil uses is not all the temptations that you have. It's not your enemies. It's not all the impish demons of hell that come against you. The enemy is you. The enemy is self, and it's self that must be conquered. As Pogo said, (laughs) there's another. Anybody remember Pogo? I'm so dated. You know that? I just... Uh, I'm older than all of you, I think. Pogo said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Your biggest obstacle to following Jesus is not sin. It's not everybody else. Each of us can trace the worst of our problems to one place and the one place is the mirror. The person that you have the most trouble with is you. Did you know this? There is no one who can stop you from serving Jesus Christ but you. You. So you don't blame everybody else. You know, it's very common for people to blame the devil. Oh, this is all the devil's fault. Some blame their wife or their husband. Some blame their friends. Maybe their friends are guilty and you shouldn't be hanging out with them, but that's not the real source of the trouble. Some blame their children. Some blame their busy schedule. I just, too busy. For goodness sakes, stop blaming the church. And some people do that too. Jesus just puts it out here. If you're going to be one of his faithful few, forget all the other stuff. Deny yourself. Get yourself out of his way. You ever thought about how powerful your flesh is? You want to see how, how powerful it is and how you pamper yourself and how demanding that flesh is? We all know. Just try to stop eating for 24 hours. Try fasting one time and see how hard that is. Oh, we don't want to do that. Paul Paul said, I buffet my body to keep it under subjection. You know that old, old saying, what we do is we buffet our body and pull it under the table and leave it there. Self denial is hard to do. In these past few years, three or four years, I've lost a lot of weight. Some people say I'm not half the man that I used to be. Uh, but there's a reason that, that, I've lost that much weight, it's, it's discipline. You have to discipline yourself. There's no shortcuts. You, you have these advertisements on television that say, well, you can eat all you want, take a pill and go to sleep, and it melts the pounds away. Never happens. It won't happen. If you're going to lose weight, you've got to eat less and exercise more. You know, all the pills, did you know that? If you just read the fine print, they all say this. Take this pill, then eat less and exercise more. Just forget the pill. Eat less and exercise more. It's self-denial. And serving Jesus then must be this act of self-denial. And that's hard on the flesh. 
It's not good for your flesh. Rarely do people like to do it. It's against the natural makeup, but this is the way it must be. It must be Jesus above you. It must be Jesus before you. It must be Jesus beside you. And probably most importantly, it must be Jesus instead of you. That's Christianity. That's the disciplined Christian life. That's semper fidelis, always faithful. If you would go after Christ, then you must accept a demanding denial. Now thirdly, in in this text, to follow Christ and be his disciple requires a daily death. If you would follow Jesus, it requires a death sentence. Now once more in verse number 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Take up his cross daily. Now think about that. What is a cross? Well, it's it's not a pretty ornament cross is not a decorative piece of jewelry. It's not an emblem that you hang on the wall. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, you, you heard the sermons I just preached on the cross of Christ. And we learned the cross is a place of suffering. Uh, uh, the cross is a symbol of shame. It's a symbol of death. And here Jesus is talking about the death dying to self. And he didn't mean here that you physically must get on a cross. Because if that's what he meant, we'd do it one time and then it would be over. Instead, he says, daily, take up your cross daily. So it is a daily death to sin, or daily death and cross, a cross of sin and death. Give, give all that up to Jesus Christ. Do you understand that every day when you get up, every day of the week when you get up, there's always going to be that temptation not to take the hard way. It's always easier to follow the other way Temptation will always be there to satisfy self. We look at this crowd, and here's a crowd that's anxious to follow Jesus. Actually, they were. They were very anxious to follow him, because why? He fed them. He's healing people. Yeah, they're happy to go after Jesus. They want to follow him until he said this. Until they found out exactly what it would take to continue to follow him. It would take death. Jesus died that we might live in him. And we must die that he would live in us. That's what verse 24 means when it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. When you die daily, it is exchanging your life for his. Imagine this scenario for a moment. A couple is about to have twin babies. And when the babies are born, they discover they're Siamese twins. They're joined together at the neck. So the doctor comes in and he says to the parents, we have a real emergency. If we don't operate immediately, both twins will die. And the parents say, well, of course, doctor, you have our permission. Go ahead, operate. But then the doctor says, no, you don't understand. It's not that simple. I can't save both lives. I can save one or the other, but I can't save both. One is going to die. And parents, you must make the decision which one of them lives and which one dies. And as you know, that scenario has been faced before. And that would be a a horrible dilemma for a parent. What a decision that you'd make. But today, in a very real sense, you face the same dilemma with Jesus Christ. You've got to choose which one lives and which one dies. And if you want him to rule your life, you have to be the one that dies. 
You've got to be the one that gets on the cross. You must choose to die to self daily. You must choose to die to your goals, die to your ambitions, die to your priorities, die to having it your way, die to all your selfishness, die to being the boss. You know, in ancient times, if someone tried to ascend the throne while the king was still on the throne, while he was alive, that's an act of high treason. That's a crime punishable by death. And it still is today. When we ascend to the throne of our lives, that must be punishable by death. There's another king that sits there when you receive Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul in Galatians 5. He says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust." You must nail all that you are to the cross. Now, you, you hear that said. Preachers often use that phrase. Nail it all to the cross. What does that mean? Nail it to the cross. What, it, what does it mean to nail something to that cross and to be crucified? Well, for one thing, it means you can only look one way. A person hanging on a cross can't turn around. Hanging on a cross, you can't look behind you. In another sense, it means that you must, you must bid the world goodbye. And then in another sense, it means you have no further plans. Someone else is making plans for you. That's the crucified life. That's the death that must be died daily. If you're going to be one of the faithful few, semper fidelis, always faithful, you must climb on that cross. A determined desire, a demanding denial... A daily death. That's three of his conditions. Then lastly, his condition for discipleship is a devoted direction. A devoted direction. After he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. He ended with these words, and follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Now following, that, that's an interesting word in the original language. It's made up of a prefix that means alike or means the same. And it's attached to a word that means way. So it means, follow means the same way. Walk in the same way. And it's a, it's a mental picture that you get of two people walking together in the same direction. And that's what a disciple is. He is a follower. He goes in the same direction that Jesus goes. The disciple says to him, you lead, I'll follow, you lead, I'll follow in your footsteps, I will commit to your direction, I am devoted to you. That's following Jesus, that is discipleship. You ever do this? You ever, you ever drive down a country road and you see two good old boys that are walking down this road and there's a dog following behind? It's hard to tell which one of them owns the dog until they come to a fork in the road. And then with the tip of his hat, one goes one way, what goes the other way. And that's when you discover who owns the dog. The dog always chooses to follow his master. Now, many Christians come to the fork in the road and they fail to take the fork that Jesus went down. They fail to follow him. They come to the fork of the road. What do I do on Sunday? And they're somewhere else than God's house. They come to the fork in the road that says, what is the ethical thing to do here? And they just act like the lost co-worker who's beside them. They come to the fork that says, do I sing in the choir? Do I work in the church? Do I fill my part, do my part in the church? Do I forsake myself and do what the church needs? And then they take the fork that 
Sunday afternoon belongs to me. It's mine. Let me tell you about the Puritans. Religious founders in our country traveled this road, and I can tell you what fork they took. From sunup to sundown, all day Sunday was the Lord's day. There was no such thing, part of the day belongs to me. There's no such thing as sports Sunday. There isn't any such thing as recreation Sunday. There's not a grandma Sunday. There's not a do my thing Sunday. Well, for them, every day, every Sunday was Jesus Christ Sunday. So we have to keep asking the question, where is that determined desire? What's happened to our Christianity today? Why aren't we like that any longer? Where is the determined desire? Where is the demanding denial? Where is that daily death? Where is the devoted direction to where Jesus, to following Jesus wherever he goes? And I wish that I could do this today. I wish that I could bring you to that fork in the road. And I hope in some way that I am doing that, that you have a decision to make. Are you going to go your way or are you going to go Christ's way? Will you go your way or the master's way? Jesus said, follow me. That's not open for discussion. Not to be his disciple. This is not a debate. It must be all of Christ and none of you. And if that's not the model that you fit, then it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position that you even have in the church. You can't be his disciple. Some years ago, there was a large department store that had a brilliant merchandising plan at Christmas time. They marketed baby Jesus dolls. They had these little dolls that they advertised as unbreakable. They decorated them with little patches of cloth that were swaddling clothes. And they included a little plastic manger to go with it, a little bit of hay, and even some Bible verses thrown in for good measure. The only problem is they couldn't sell them. One of the store managers began to feel the pressure of that had a store overstocked with these things, and he began to panic. Christmas season's almost over, and he's got to move this inventory. So he got a brilliant idea. He put a big sign in the front of his store that said, Jesus, mark down 50%. Get him while you can. And that sounds offensive to us, doesn't it? It sounds very offensive, but that is right down on the level where many people live. They want to mark down Jesus. You make following him cheap enough? Yeah, I can do that. I'll follow him. If it's not too hard... It's not too demanding. Just cheapen it some. I'll follow him. Well, I, w- I want to note this in conclusion. That discipleship is never discounted. Jesus paid the full price for you. And if you are to be his disciple, you must pay the full price of surrender and devotion to him. He calls on us today to be one of the faithful few. And when you think about that, Also think about the deal that you get when you do. Think about all that Jesus wants to give you. I mean, really, go back to our story here and say, once again, why isn't everybody following Jesus? I mean, look at what he has to offer people. We've talked about how hard and demanding it is. It's tough. But think about what you get. You get the abundant life. You get joy and peace. You get direction. You get wisdom and strength. And then on the icing on the cake is that you get heaven when you die. Where do you get a deal like this? No matter how hard it is, it's worth it. Dedicated Christianity makes all the difference in the contentment of your life. Scripture says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Surrender your life 
to Jesus today and you will experience the deal of a lifetime. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So here we are at this crossroads, it seems so to speak. The old year has passed. Now we enter into the new year of 2020, a new decade, even though there is some argument about when the new decade starts. Is this the end of the last decade? And is 2021, is that the beginning of the new decade? Well, for our purposes, we're in a new decade, okay? We'll accept it that way. The past is past. That's the point. What, what's behind us is behind us. We can't do anything about the past. And the wonderful thing about God is, is that repentance from everything that we've done in the past, God never holds against us. There's always what's in front of us. What we can do for Jesus Christ, your life can be different from this day forward if you just make the decision that sticks. And that's the decision to be semper fidelis, always faithful. So we need to enter this new year with a determined desire to follow Christ, a demanding denial of self, a daily death to self, and a devoted direction to take the fork that always follows Christ. He's not looking for part-time commitments. He's looking for a few good men and a few good women. question is, are you one of them? Are you one of the faithful few? I would to God that everybody would choose to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, faithfully. Be a faithful follower. Be one of the faithful few. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and... We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace and recognizing as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ how much you've done for us and how much you still plan to do for us. Well, we thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ and all the promises that accompany it. Lord, you have told us that we need to follow you faithfully because that's a life of reward. It's, it's a life, we can live this life as in, in the fullness of joy and then know that when we leave this life, we'll be in the presence of God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. See that throne room that Isaiah saw, the glory of it, and just be thankful that we listened and we followed. Lord, I ask that for every person here today. Christians, members of the church, friends that we have that know the Lord, we, we pray that all will commit themselves to you. And then we pray for that person who hears this and much of it's been foreign to the ears, don't really understand who Christ is. We pray for that person. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do what we've described in this text, that to be one of the faithful few takes the movement of God's Holy Spirit upon our heart. We'll never do it without it. None of us can do it. And we pray, Lord, your spirit would speak to people today. Bless us now, Lord. Let us go into this year following you every week, every day, as faithfully as we can. And we will do it in your power, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 
or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.